0: Hey there! It's Scary Parish. It's Monday, June twenty second, two thousand twenty. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black man. Norlander is here with me, and big news from earlier today: Cade Cunningham, top-ranked prospect in the class of twenty twenty, announced he's gonna remain committed to Oklahoma State University, even though the NCAA has banned that program from the two thousand twenty-one postseason, including the two thousand twenty-one NCAA tournament. Yes. Oklahoma State can still appeal that penalty, but unless it wins that appeal, and winning appeals is always an unlikely outcome, the Cowboys will not play in the 2021 NCAA tournament. Cade Cunningham obviously knows this, but he still decided to enroll at Oklahoma State where, of course, his older brother, Cannon, is on Mike Boynton's staff. Needless to say, that played a role first in his commitment, then in his recommitment. Norlander, you wrote about this, so let's start with your reaction to today's Cade Cunningham news.
1: Good afternoon, GP. Uh, My reaction was not one of surprise. I know I said this on CBS Sports HQ, what, 17, 18 days ago when Oklahoma State was given its uh, heavy handed sanctions, most notably with the postseason ban, but. I my initial reaction to all of that was I'm not convinced Kate Cunningham still won't stay with this program and a lot of that has to do with uh, the extremely strong relationship Mike Boynton has developed with Cunningham and his family Um, so I wasn't surprised when it got to this point full transparency actually heard from Boynton on Father's Day and I didn't expect Cunningham to make this decision today so I had planned on uh, on circling back around with Mike on Tuesday to get a feel for the situation because I did understand that he was going to probably make that decision this week but uh, he got on his horse, and uh, the cowboy made his call here on Monday uh, morning, and and all for the better there. Um, just to, I remember if we've mentioned this on the podcast, I'm becoming more and more like you, I guess unintentionally here. I forget what I say on the podcast versus in other outlets, but um, the, the Boyd uh, Boynton Cunningham relationship goes all the way back to when I think it was like the first tournament that Mike ever scouted when he got to Oklahoma State and was an assistant for Brad Underwood. It was a tournament uh, in or outside Dallas, and Kate at that point's 14, but he looks 17, and Mike watches him play a game, and then... um, like he starts to think like okay well I don't know who's in on this kid but I'll I'll see what can what's happening and at that point he's basically like he's not a he's not a recruitable athlete in the junior or senior in high school since GP uh, but he was the very first person to ever offer uh, Kate a scholarship and 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 full on recruit him so I think that's an important. Uh, element to remember in all of this stuff where it's, yes, his brother's on staff. That's obviously huge. Mike was smart enough to get Cannon. Uh, He was previously at Tulane. Bring him on to staff there. That is not an insignificant detail. Obviously, it means a lot. It might have been the very linchpin to preventing Cade from leaving Oklahoma State to go anywhere else, let alone Kentucky or G League route or whatever, but the origins of how Cade became a college prospect start with Mike Boynton finding him more than three years ago and that's where we find ourselves today. So that's why I wasn't necessarily surprised by this but at the same time um, I think a little bit refreshed GP because as I wrote in my column which I'll have linked in the podcast description if you want to take a a read at it we have grown conditioned to not expect loyalty from college athletes I think a lot of those reasons are practical sometimes I, I I, sometimes I do think that um, we might let players off the hook in certain instances, but uh, for a lot of the, a lot of the time you and I are on the same page. Um, if players are not going to be loyal, we are generally usually on their side of things. But even having said that, For a player with the amount of earning potential right now, if he had gone to the G League route GP, with the amount of earning potential he could have had there, or if he had gone to play at any other place with a chance to play in the NCAA tournament, win a national championship, none of us would have faulted Cunningham for doing that. But he decided this is where he wants to be in the face of a postseason ban. I do find that admirable, and I did want to put an emphasis on that because what he did I don't think a lot of players would do, and the loyalty aspect of it just seems to be something that is dwindling more and more as the years go on in the college space.
0: I guess I would say uh, a lot of the same things that I said when I did the solo podcast after Oklahoma State was banned from the 2021 NCAA tournament as it related to Cade Cunningham. And that's like, you know, I I don't know that this is what I would do, but that's fine. You know, like what I wanted him to do is understand the pros and cons of everything and then make whatever decision was best for him. You know, and it seems pretty clear He's a bright young man. He understands what going to Oklahoma State means and doesn't mean. What going to Kentucky would have meant and not meant. What going through the G League program would have meant and not meant. And ultimately, this is what he decided to do. And 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 that's fine with me. But it's gotta be a a, a bit of a bummer to head into what is almost certainly gonna be your only year of college, and you already know you're not going to the NCAA tournament. Like lots of great prospects in recent years have not participated in the NCAA tournament. Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz. But I promise you, Ben Simmons didn't think he was going to not be in the NCAA tournament when he went to LSU. It just happened. And I promise you, Markel Fultz didn't think he wasn't going to be in the NCAA tournament when he went to Washington. It It just happened. And so now we're in a situation where you know, it's June 22nd and Kate Cunningham already knows, barring a surprise, his one year of college n- will not result in a trip to the NCAA tournament. But, you know, you weigh that against the other things that matter to you, like going to Oklahoma State, following through on a commitment, you know, you know, uh, uh, honoring your word. And I don't, by the way, I think you and I may be different on this a little bit. Like I, I can commend him for honoring his word and showing loyalty um, or at least respect it, I didn't need him to do it under these circumstances because the circumstances changed from the moment he believed he was going to play at Oklahoma State. I think if anybody would have been within their right to show, um, I don't even want to say it, uh, a, a disloyal approach, but to to just change his plans, Kate Cunningham under these circumstances, I, I, I don't know how anybody could have reasonably um, criticized him. And I'll give Mike tremendous amount of credit here too because he set it up from the jump the second the incident announced this punishment like we're gonna do whatever Cade wants to do whatever's best for him that's what i support where mike didn't try to at least publicly certainly didn't try to guilt trip him at all and so i i thought i was really impressed with the way mike handled this and perhaps he is rewarded because of that but um you know again with Cade, like i if anybody would have been in a a totally understandable position to 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 switch it up it, it's him but he decides to to still go to stillwater and be with his brother be with the coach who believed in him from the jump be where he has for a long time now believed he was going to be i wonder though if this played any role do we even know if we're going to play college basketball and like, we don't. We don't. We. I mean, and, and I think we can say we can ask that question from an honest place more reasonably today than we could have two weeks ago, based on what we've seen since football players started coming back to campus. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got 30 LSU football players quarantined, 23 test positive at, at Clemson. I mean, you're bringing back, uh, you know, uh, a few hundred student athletes. And they're on an otherwise empty campus, and they can't avoid the virus. What happens when you bring another 10,000 people to this campus? What happens when 23 players in a football program test positive the day before a game as opposed to in the middle of June? And given that a lot of people think of this second wave, and by people I don't just mean like my cousin on Facebook, like doctors, um, believe that the second wave is coming in November – Well, then college basketball starts in November. One of the things Major League Baseball and its players are arguing over is the ability to have the entire World Series wrapped up before November 1st because they're scared if they go into November, they will not be able to play it. And so there's a lot of reason to be skeptical that we're even going to have a college basketball season. And if you're Cade Cunningham, if you understand that, you can say, "Okay, listen, I'm just going to go to the school I was always going to go to, allow my brother— to be good on what he said he could deliver, which was me. Right. And whether I go to Kentucky, Oklahoma State, or anywhere else, we might not play basketball anyway. At least I don't put my brother in a bad situation where he couldn't deliver his younger brother under these circumstances. And I'm not – I shouldn't suggest that I know uh, Kate Cunningham thought through all of that. Perhaps he thought through none of that. But given that – The the uncertainty around the college basketball season seems to be at an all-time high. I can understand how if if I were him, I'd be more willing just to go to Oklahoma State because, yeah, they're banned from the NCAA tournament, but, hell, I'm not even sure if we're going to have an NCAA tournament, so what does it matter?
1: That decision even zags in uh, in the spirit of what I've heard other people suggest in that you might have college players with no guarantee of being drafted uh, opting to leave college altogether anyway without the assurance of a college season. So I might as well just see if I can take my chances, go to the G League or maybe get something overseas. There's no guarantee any in any way that any any kind of competition organized on the basketball side is going to be able to happen starting on time in the fall or have some real continuity into the winter. Um, so you're a hypothesis there. I think there is the potential for that. But I do think that Ultimately, I mean, Cunningham, uh, super mature kid, um, d- definitely feels a deep connection, not just with his brother being on staff and with Boynton, but I think with the with the program already. And it, it, his thinking might just simply be this. Uh, it might have been a little bit of a tough decision, for sure. And if he doesn't get to the tournament, it doesn't happen. There might be, there might have been some conversations within the program that said, "Listen, we are going. Here's the case we think we have on appeals. There's no guarantee that we get to, that we can win it, but we think we might have a real chance uh, at, at getting us in, being eligible for 2021 and A, B, C, and D or Y. Maybe that factored into as well. But also, if Kate Cunningham." In my opinion, he's the best draft prospect in 2020 and 2021. He's better than uh, any of the guys that left college or bypassed college to go play in the G League Pathway program. He's better than them, and I'm highly confident he's going to get picked before all of them in the 2021 draft. So if you're Cade Cunningham, you want to go to college for a year in the place you're most comfortable with, with the staff that you're most comfortable with. You've got your brother on staff there. You've developed a connection. Isaac likely has already reaffirmed his commitment. There were other players in advance of Cade deciding this, which made me think all the more that he was coming back uh, mid to late last week. Um, They've bandied together. They're going to ride this out, okay? You're going to probably be the number one pick. You're going to still get to play in the Big 12, play, you know, again, Grant, this is all with the the necessary prerequisite that – COVID-19 is gonna, isn't gonna is going to sideswipe the college basketball season. But let's just say it doesn't for the, for the sake of argument here. Get to play at Allen Fieldhouse. You know, do the round robin in the Big 12. Have an, a couple of nice high-profile non-conference games. Get to play against Marquette. And get your opportunity to shine for 25, 27, 30 games. Reinforce that you are uh, the number one pick. And then if you don't have a postseason, then you get to have the jump start if you want it on the pre-draft process come mid to late March, getting ahead of everyone else. Yes, you lose out potentially on in the NCAA tournament, but uh, but regardless, um, I just thought it was a really really cool thing to see here, and I think a lot of players wouldn't have done what he did, and so his loyalty we should just uh, we should commend it. And I close my column out with: Listen, you and I I think agree on a lot, might disagree on little parts here and there when it comes to the NCAA handling the Oklahoma State case. Um, I was surprised by the postseason ban, but then I had a couple of coaches reach out and tell me, um, I hear you. But it seems like everyone already forgot what the NCAA did to Georgia Tech for so much worse, so the Oklahoma State stuff shouldn't be a surprise. And uh, two coaches called me about that. I said, you know what, you're absolutely right. I didn't even think about what Passner's program got hit with, but you're totally right. I shouldn't have been surprised by that, and that's why every other program tied to the FBI stuff should really be banking on a postseason ban at minimum. But regardless of all of that, I do think that Cunningham doing what he did, even facing that if the NCAA, the thought I closed my column with is, if it can show uh, some level of maturity in its decision-making that can kind of equal out to what Cunningham did, maybe we will see the school win on appeal. I don't have a, a huge issue with OSU getting the ban when you really take everything into account. And if I'm going to put the same standard against, well, if you're going to commit to Louisville or you're going to commit to Kansas or you're going to commit to LSU, you know this was happening. The same should apply to Oklahoma State. But I do think the school has at least a reasonable case because it acted with more haste in its own case than probably any other school out there. I don't think they'll win, but maybe they will, and maybe that factored into a little of what uh, of what Kay decided there. But if we have a season, Oklahoma State's going to have the most watchable player in college basketball, GP. That's never before been the case in the sports history.
0: I, I, I guess I'd maybe not adamantly disagree about what Georgia Tech did wasn't, as bad as what Oklahoma state did because like Georgia tech, I think that story gets twisted around a little bit. It was somebody who the head coach there described as a quote, close friend providing thousands of dollars and plane tickets and everything else to multiple Georgia tech players um, in violation of obvious NCAA rules. Whereas at, at Oklahoma state, it was an assistant coach taking money to try to push players to a financial advisor after they left school. Like, is really is, – is what Oklahoma State did worse than Georgia Tech? I'm not sure of that.
1: Uh, Oklahoma State had more – I guess they both had rogue elements. But um, the biggest discrepancy, obviously, is that Oklahoma State had an assistant coach plead guilty to federal crimes. So it depends on your interpretation of the case. But I know what you're I – I hear what you're saying.
0: Right, yeah. yeah, um, Listen, I, w- we can argue about what's fair and unfair when it comes to punishments forever. I guess I'd just repeat the point I made before. This is what people say they want. You know when you get a program operating outside of the rule book and they're caught undeniably caught, or at least have a an employee caught, then what fans always tell me is they want those those programs to be punished. Like you know that they, they they get frustrated because they feel like nothing ever really happens to the cheaters. And so I can feel sick for Mike Boynton who had nothing to do with this and sick for Kate Cunningham who obviously had nothing to do with this, but I don't know how you tell the NCAA you want them to enforce their rules and have real punishment. If when they do it, then you turn around and say, well, that's too much. You know, they, I thought that's what you wanted was more. And this is, it at least appears to be more. So, I, you know, I could argue that either way it, it, for the people who, Insist it's excessive given what actually happened in this case. Like, I hear you, but what people have been telling me for years is that they want punishments with real teeth. And the only punishment with real teeth is a postseason ban. Like, scholarship reductions, if you're good, you can get around that. You know, a limited recruiting, uh, you know, uh, in person recruiting. Uh, opportunities if you're good, you can get around that. I mean Bruce Pearl's entire first recruiting class at auburn was 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 put together or at least a lot of it was put together while he wasn't even allowed to recruit. you know like if you're good, you can get around these things and so the only punishment with teeth that really puts your program in a bad place is a postseason ban and i I, I think th- that yeah. appears to be the bare minimum the NCAA is going to give these programs that were that had somebody caught up in the FBI investigation because if Oklahoma State is going to get and again we can argue fair unfair too much not enough but if that's what Oklahoma State got like that that seems to be the minimum of what Auburn's going to get the minimum of what USC is going to get and then like you yeah. know who knows what happens with Arizona LSU and and everybody else
1: uh, agreed. Real quick, just to uh, let me swerve back into the Big 12 with Cade. So with him coming into the fold um, or sticking in the fold, I should say, Big 12 will be really interesting next season. Baylor will be projected to be the best team in the league. Uh, behind Baylor, probably Kansas, but West Virginia should also be pretty good. Texas Tech is no slouch. Texas, also, all those teams. Those are five Big 12 teams that should be in the top 25. Next to are all GP. Are all five of those in your top 25 and one? Texas yes. Tech is Texas, Texas in there too? Yeah. So um, all yes. five of those. And then you have Oklahoma State, uh, which could have the best player in the league and the best player in the country, should also factor in there. And then Oklahoma was a solid team last season. We'll see where they go, and I think they should be pretty steady as well. I think minimum, you'll have seven NCAA tournament quality teams, obviously if Oklahoma State can't play in it, they wouldn't be an NCAA tournament team, but at least those seven, and then we kind of see Iowa State, TCU, Kansas State, those are the three worst teams in the league last season. History would suggest, when you look at the Big 12 year over year over year, um, you don't have the same three teams finishing in the bottom three year after year, so maybe one of those is going to jump up. The Big 12 sets up as a really, really good league again, and this is coming off a season in which it actually was not rated as the best league in the country that was the Big Ten, but it was the first time since 2013 that the Big 12 wasn't the highest rated league in college basketball per Ken Palm, that could very well jump back to the way it used to be. And if you told me in 2021, again, if we have a relatively normal schedule, that the Big 12 was the best league in college basketball uh, with Cunningham at Oklahoma State, I believe that's a strong possibility.
0: And, you know, just to put a bow on this, I will say um, it, it's big for Oklahoma State. It's obviously, as you pointed out in your column, you know, big for the fan base. They're excited again after getting slapped around by the NCAA. It is biggest for Mike Boynton. And and for that reason alone, I am happy Cade made this decision. Again, I wouldn't have um, criticized him for making literally any decision. Um, but making this decision helps Mike, who is by all accounts a class guy. Like I, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Mike Boynton. And, you know, if if you don't have Kate Cunningham and you just went through that league, it's going to be tough. Suddenly you finish, I don't know, eighth, ninth, tenth in the Big Twelve, you're on a postseason ban. You know, like his career record in the Big Twelve so far is 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 twenty and thirty-four. And if you do a fourth Mm-hmm. Year missing the NCAA tournament, then you know you might enter year five, like having to have that season to save your job, right? And and now at least with Cade on the roster, he's got a chance to to you know maybe finish top half of the Big Twelve. If you know, and even if that doesn't translate to the NCAA tournament because of postseason ban, it'll it'll suggest that the program is is headed the right direction that. um you know, that that it, it would break up if there are going to be bad seasons. It would it would put a, a good one right in between the bad ones. If another bad one is to come, it could just buy him some time. And I, I guess I, I there's very few, quote unquote, fired coaches I've ever talked with who can't tell you three moments in time where if this would have happened, that would have happened and that would have happened, it would have gone differently. And sometimes they're just looking to, you know, rationalize their own, you know, what happened in their minds. And sometimes it's true. Like sometimes it is, it's a hundred percent true. Like, man, if this player wouldn't have got hurt, or if that recruit would have followed through, or if this coach assistant wouldn't have got caught doing this thing, um, this man's entire career which, by the way, in this profession translates to millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like Somebody's entire career could go differently. And I, I you know, I don't want to uh, be over dramatic here, but perhaps Kate Cunningham recommitting to Oklahoma State, perhaps it, it won't be the thing that leads to some dream season. Because can you have a dream season that doesn't result in an NCAA tournament? But it could be the thing that steadies Mike Boynton's head coaching career. And if so, then... That'll be a really super positive thing for Mike in that in that OSU program.
1: It's just one more thing, quick thing for me, and we don't need to uh, slip down this avenue, but I just felt compelled to bring it up here before we move on to the next topic. This has to be the most noteworthy, newsworthy. <laughs> Discussable for good and for bad offseason in Oklahoma State history. I mean imagine if you're an Oklahoma State fan You have all the stuff with Cade you have the postseason ban on your men's basketball program Mike Gundy has created reasons for national headlines at least three times during this offseason so uh, For the Oklahoma State fans that have been really going through it uh, You know, we hear your shouts shouts to you. Just keep on <laughs> Keep on keeping on here. I don't know uh I, I don't know the, the long-term status of Mike Gundy's um, position in your football program. Hell, for all I know, he's uh, he's secure and he's going to be there for another 10 to 15 years. I don't know. Maybe he'll be done before we know it around the corner. But um, when Kate announced this this morning, I couldn't help but think that um, there hasn't been a college program when you look at football and men's basketball that's been more discussed in the past two and a half to three months than Oklahoma State. So I think Cowboys fans are hoping they can just now get to the start of football season hopefully without any other negative headlines there's no guarantee of that but I felt compelled to at least bring it up and uh and mention it because yeah they've they've gone through a ton and plenty on Gundy's side plenty of it's been more than self-inflicted
0: all right let's move on 21 minority assistants in the Big East have formed an organization called Coaches for Action they've already accomplished something pretty big we're going to get into that next but first check this out
1: with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
2: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too.
0: So 21 minority assistants in the Big East have formed an organization called Coaches for Action. I wrote about it this morning after spending the weekend talking to four of the coaches involved, namely Marquette's Dwayne Killens, Villanova's Kyle Neptune, Providence's Ivan Thomas, and UConn's Kamani Young. They've already identified, CFA, three initiatives, and they are to, one, educate players, fellow coaches, and people in Big East communities on the importance of voting in both local, and national elections, and they are calling on each biggies program to host a voter registration drive in early October. So that's the first initiative. The second initiative is to create a scholarship fund to assist first-generation minority students with at least a 3.0 GPA who elect to attend a Big East school. Each CFA member has already committed a monetary donation himself, and then they're going to lobby their head coaches and donors with whom they have relationships, going to lobby to get them to contribute as well. And then the third initiative, and this is the one getting the most attention, they are going to support the Black Lives Matter movement by, re- by placing Black Lives Matter patches on each home-and-away jersey of every men's basketball player in the Big East. Additionally, Big East coaches are going to wear Black Lives Matter pins this season. So that means that the Big East is going to be, or at least it is at this moment, the first conference in the country to commit to Black Lives Matter patches on the upcoming season. So that's a cool thing, right? That's a significant thing. It is a significant
1: thing. In fact, it's the first American sports group entity conference, whatever you want to call it, to make this commitment. And it's not, as of us podcasting this, GP, it's not yet official, but it is going to be official. This is going to happen. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. Let let me uh, clarify that. It's not official yet. Like there hasn't been some announcement from the Big East. But when I talked to Dwayne, Akal, Ivan, and Kamani, you know, they've been on. The first thing they did was take it to their head coaches because, you know, you don't want to get out of line here and and have head coaches say, listen, your assistants, like we're handling this at the head coaching level or the administrative level or the conference level. So they they wanted to go to their head coaches and say, listen, we don't we don't want to overstep our place. And to a man, they all told me that every head coach in the league encouraged them. No, no, no. This is a great idea. Move forward. So then they took it to their A.D.'s to a man. They told me their ADs were similarly encouraging, and then they took it to the Big East, and I was told that they took it specifically to Commissioner Val Ackerman and Senior Associate Commissioner um, Stu Jackson, and they, without hesitation, um, approved all of the initiatives. So they are now planning. They don't know exactly where the patch is going to go. They don't know exactly what the patch is going to look like. But they have been told that their desire to do it is going to be allowed, that there will be a Black Lives Matter patch on every Big East uniform, home and away, in the sport of men's basketball at the very least.
1: That's very cool. It's a a small thing, but it's a big thing. Um, Personally, I wouldn't be surprised, barring there being – Something on the litigation side that would prevent the NBA from doing it, I wouldn't be surprised if we learned the NBA was going to try and do this upon its return, scheduled return at the end of July, early August, GP. But for college basketball and for the Big East, the conference of, you know, I think most famously, John Thompson, to to be at the forefront of this uh, movement and discussion, I think is an important thing. The scholarships mean more. All the other actions, you know, Helping your, your players and your programs become aware of, and I did speak with, we, we both uh, were in contact with uh, with Dwayne specifically at Marquette, uh, one of many coaches behind this who is going to be a head coach uh, one day and, and ideally, hopefully uh, sooner than later. Um, but the very intentional um, mission of informing players how to vote Not just in presidential elections, but in local elections, and really putting this plan into action. I love that this was the minority minority assistants in the Big East that did this. I think it's fantastic. Uh, It's the it's the biggest number of minority and black assistants you could have representative. I mean, um, the Big East does have uh, some black head coaches, but when you have a bigger number coming from the assistant pool, then Charging forward with this idea, I think is fantastic. And and Dwayne did tell me he said, listen, one of the biggest things with the patches is it's not like we're trying to capitalize on a moment here. It's we want the game like in the middle of January to this still to be a discussion, just to still be at the forefront, so that well after this summer has passed, okay, we're still being a proactive part of all of this. So I thought that was fantastic. It comes uh, a few days after I had a story last week about the Coaches Coalition for Progress, which is headed up by three coaches at the University of San Francisco, uh, a black assistant at Oklahoma, Carlin Hartman, and a a, a defensive line edge coach at Washington State, who happens to be a high school best friend of San Francisco coach Todd Golden. They all started this. It's It's a different entity altogether, but they are working toward a lot of goals and that stuff you can read about at cbssports.com. It's been great. It's been inspiring to see coaches do this. I've also been told, listen, you don't want to have, you know, 14 organizations, I guess, but I've been told that there is actually another organization that is in the process of forming as well to bring about um, just more action uh, toward racial equality and and shining a spotlight on police brutality and trying to, you know, correct the the wrongs that have been really has spread like a virus throughout our society for far too long so it's been it's been great to see and, and the Big East thing in particular gp is really inspiring and once the Big East, i guess officially uh, puts any sort of announcement out the uh the megaphone will come out again and and the word will spread even more but uh good little story you did there and i'm um, and, uh, i'm inspired to see what uh what the conference does this upcoming season to help spread action because no matter what if we play if we have a if we have a 40-game season, or we have a four-game season, what they want to do here won't be muted because a lot of it isn't tied to actual game competition.
0: Um, you mentioned the Biggies has some black head coaches. They actually have five. Five of the 11 are are African-American, which is... The a, highest.
1: Outside of the HBCUs, high. yeah. The, only the HBC. I should have. Sorry, GP. I had that thought, and then I kind of trailed off. That's the highest percent of a, a black coaches in a league, of any league in America, that's not an HBCU league, the MEAC, or the
0: SWAC. That's what I assumed. I didn't know that until you just said it. You could have trivia time me, but um, I would have assumed that, especially among the major conferences. For some context, like the ACC has three. And how many teams are in the ACC now? 15. Three? One, two, three. 15, yeah. yeah? Yeah, so three out of 15 in the ACC. Two out of, I believe, 10 in the Big 12. Yep. And so you get five out of 11 in the Big East. So that's an impressive uh, number. And. It was, I believe, Cal Neptune who said, "You know, they feel like their league has always been at the forefront of 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 this topic, and so it should not be a surprise that they are the first league to to commit to doing this. And they wanted to be the first league to commit to doing this. They they wanted to to have that be part of of their legacy." Um, I, I thought the other interesting thing about it was, you know, when I talked to these guys over the weekend one of the things they said is like, listen, they compete against each other, not just on the court, but for recruits. And recruiting is a cutthroat business. In other words, they're not all friends. You're right. You know? Yes. In fact, in, in fact some of them, I don't know that they would describe each other as enemies, but like I promise you one of these dudes, there's 21 guys a part of this organization, all right? I promise you one of them dudes just beat the other dude for a recruit, and it made the other dude want to kill that guy. Mm-hmm. Like that happens. Yeah. Okay? And yet when they said when they got on the Zoom call, because it starts, I should give some some background on it. Dwayne Killings at Marquette is like he's doing what we're all doing. Like we're sitting at home, we're watching these televised protests and we're saying, okay, what what can I do to help? And for him, the question is, what can I do as a coach in the Big East? What can I do to help? And so he reached out to, you know, uh, Kamani and then and then reached out to Ivan. Next thing you know, they've got a Zoom call scheduled. And he said, it was just a great thing because you, you you log on and then you know how Zoom works. People just start popping up. And he said, next thing you know, there's 18 coaches popped up. 18 of the 21 are on this initial call. And you're looking at 18 people who look just like you and who have a similar story to you. And have are and are now in a similar space um, as you. Like the, some of these guys came from really hard places, and yet they are college graduates who are working in a power conference, all making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, you know they 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 they've they made it, and so, um, you know, you know, how do you now help the people who need your help right now? And when you know, they, I was told they got on that Zoom call, whatever issues any assistant, Biggie's assistant might have had with another Biggie's assistant, not to insist that there were some, I'm just assuming that there's got to be. And, you know, even if guys who maybe knew each other but weren't that friendly, it was like, according to Dwayne and everybody else I talked to, it was like none of that existed. Like everybody was focused, mm-hmm. um, friendly. And not only are they bringing about some really good stuff here, he thinks that they are creating friendships that maybe didn't previously exist because when you put all of the BS that's connected to the job to the side, these are all black men coaching, uh, coaching you know, young black men. And some of these black men are also the fathers of, of young black children. They have a lot more in common than, than, than they don't. And one of the things I was told over and over again is that over the past month, them forming this organization and keeping in close contact, whether it's group text or Zoom calls, it's really allowed them to find um, a, you know, a, a common thing to, to, to attach themselves to. And it, you know, they all you – know, at least the people I talked to thought that it, it had made them better coaches, better people, and maybe created some real friendships as well that, didn't other, that wouldn't otherwise exist.
1: My last thing on this, I want to take the baton from what you were saying there exactly. And that is black men, black assistants who are as hungry and thirsty and career driven in their professions as so many of the people that might be listening to this podcast in their 20s and 30s are in yours as you strive toward getting to a place in your occupation that you hope, think that you can eventually one day reach. They're trying to do that. And they know, they look around, they scan the country, they scan their sport, and they see, yes, there are black coaches, but it's not proportionate to the amount of black players, the the amount of um, black men and women that are involved in that sport. So because of that, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm really taken from conversations I've had with black assistants over the past few years, because of that, the competition, particularly within a league, uh, and, and within amongst assistants can be truly fierce to get this player versus that player, and you're worried about what that school and that assistant might be doing to try and recruit this player. You know that guy's doing something and you'll bite your tongue and you don't say anything. like there is real, real, real competitive animosity that can develop there. One assistant I spoke to uh, in the Big East in the past three or four days says, you know, normally I'm trying to slice these guys Achilles, but now we're coming together to join on something that's so much bigger and more important than that. I think this is so awesome and so tremendous. It doesn't mean that the natural – competitiveness of being on a coaching staff goes away. It doesn't, but to come through on, on such a bigger purpose I think is so great, but I'm so happy you brought that up because I the same same wavelength, same plane uh, G, GP here and that. I was going to bring that up in terms of when you look at these assistants like head coaches, yeah, they're competitive, but when you're an assistant and you're on the ground when it comes to recruiting and just doing so much stuff in the program and you're fending off everyone else that's in your league, um, I think that aspect of the job isn't really truly appreciated by the general public because frankly it never gets talked publicly by the coaches and then um it's just it's not something that we end up writing or talking about all that much but it's a very very real everyday existence for for assistants around the country and the fact that these biggies assistants have come through with this uh despite all the things that come with the job i think is all the more commendable
0: yeah you know to to just add to that point I, i i would have to look it up and i haven't yet but i bet you what i'm about to tell you is is true um Obviously, as we just detailed, the majority of head coaches at the power conference level, overwhelming majority, are white men. But I bet you the majority of assistant coaches at the power conference level, in other words, the three assistants who are actually recruiting, um, recruiting assistants, I bet you the majority of them are, are black. I bet you, I bet you, if you added up all three assistants from every quote unquote power conference, you would have more black assistants than white assistants, but you would have way more white head coaches than black head coaches. And what that does is, is, is it creates an incredible level of competitiveness, as you point out, um, among the black assistants, because you know, there is a path for you to become a head coach, but historically speaking there aren't as many opportunities for you as there should be, and it's Maybe wrong.
1: This will- it's it's wrong, GP, because what unfair what unfairly happens is the black assistant gets labeled as the recruiting assistant far too often. And so, if you're the recruiting oh, assistant, sure. if you're the recruiter, that means it's it's coded language that's frankly bullshit it needs to go away. If you're the recruiter, you're not intelligent enough, you're not savvy enough to be the next note coach, you're not well rounded enough to be the kind of assistant that would be uh projected to make to make a jump to be a head coach and so that is a stigma that has existed for way 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 too long in college basketball that that black men have have gone up and faced up against for for far too long and so that's the kind of the point you're getting at I, I jumped in I'm sorry but this is something that I've had um black coaches just rightfully rail on about for a long time
0: Right. And like, listen, it's it goes without it's saying that it's wrong. But like we've reached a point in this country where we're it's not enough to just allow something to go without saying, like, let's actually say it. Um, it's wrong. But but that dynamic like that, 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 that breakdown in numbers. Um, there's only so many head coaching opportunities for people who look like you, at least historically speaking. But there's a whole bunch of you an inordinate number of people competing for those opportunities, it really creates the situation where it's cutthroat. Everything is, is, you know, everybody's out to get everybody. And to see these men, at least these 21 men, put all of that aside for the greater good, uh, just a a really impressive thing. Like I was on a a group text with with some of those guys uh, this morning and, you know they were just appreciative that that I, I wrote about it and that we were going to talk about it, and I just said, listen, man, you guys are doing a great thing. If there's any if there's any way I can assist, like I'm happy to do it because, again, our our country is going through a real movement right now, and if you care about these things, um, if you want your children to to grow up in a better place than 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 the places we grew up, then." You know, I, I do think it's important to do your part, whatever your part is, and so I wanted, you know, to let those men know they're now doing their part, and if there's some way I can assist them, I'm I'm happy to do it.
1: Yeah, agreed. Well, this is a this is a really cool thing, and we'll see what uh, what comes of it going forward there. But uh, the Black Lives Matter patches on the uniforms is a is a cool thing, and I would. I would think, I have to believe this, well, they, the Big East will not be the only one in college sports doing this. Just a matter of who will be second, third, who's coming further down the line. And if we see any professional leagues in America do this, the premiership in, uh, in Europe in soccer notably has done this uh, as its returned without fans across the pond with the words Black Lives Matter on the back of the jerseys. We just wait and see how the Big East chooses to, uh, to do this play with its patches come the start of the season.
0: Before we get out of here, um, I spent some time on the phone last week with Luca Garza, the All-American, of course, from Iowa. Got him on the phone just because he's in such a a unique position. You know, He can return to Iowa, and he's the preseason national player of the year, a star on what I would consider the Big Ten favorite, what I would consider a preseason top-five team. If he leaves, he might go undrafted. So you'd think it's going to be an easy decision, and ultimately I do believe – it is more likely than not that he will be back in school for his senior season, but you know, Luca insisted he's still considering all of his options. And um, what's also true, like we talked about earlier, the uncertainty surrounding college sports right now because of the coronavirus, you know, adds another variable to the equation. So Norlander, um, I know, or at least I think you read the column. I was really impressed just in the conversation with Luca, uh, as I wrote. Um, he seems pretty clear-eyed about this. You know, sometimes when we talk to prospects, They're delusional about what's realistic for them and what's not like somebody, you know, is going to be a second round draft pick is talking about, you know, I think I'm going to go in the top 20. Like, no, you're not going to go in the top 20. Why do you think that? Uh, Luca said no such thing. Like, he does not think he's going to be a lottery pick. He does understand he might not be picked. And yet he's still going through the process the best he can right now. Um what what do you make of the Luca Garza situation? Do you think there's any chance he actually doesn't return for a senior season?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I put it at ten percent. would you would you you put it at zero percent GP? Where do you read the situation right I,
0: now? I've never put anything at zero. It could be one of those things where, um, you know, a second wave comes. The you know he you know the, the we the college football is a disaster you know and and he's just like all right i'm just going to get on with my professional career whatever that looks like um i you know something like that but i think all things being equal i i'll be i'll be pretty surprised if he's not back at iowa for his senior season because as he acknowledged to me even as he is con- you know still considering remaining in the nba draft at least officially he also acknowledges it'd be a lot to walk away from and, and he, he really tried to downplay the National Player of the Year stuff, although that, that, that is something. He said it's cool, but he was like, you know, it's a top-five team. You know, it's, a, it's, it's the, maybe the best team Iowa's ever had. You know, maybe the best team Coach McCaffrey's ever had. Like, you know, I, I could, that's a lot to walk away from. The idea that I could be the centerpiece of that kind of team is not something I would be willing to give up for nothing. So just him suggest, saying that out loud suggested to me that he might not know exactly what he's going to do right now, but unless he hears something from the NBA front offices that most of us do not expect him to hear, and what he would need to hear, he said, is that there's a spot in the NBA for him next season. Unless he hears that definitively, I would assume he's back in school.
1: Yeah, I'd put it at ten percent at this point. We're bookending this podcast with the two players that would be the preseason candidates most likely for National Player of the Year, and Luca will, I would think, will rightfully win out over Kate Cunningham. But Kate Cunningham should, in my opinion, he's Kate's good enough to get uh, some serious discussion on that. But Luca is fascinating because he doesn't have many analogs over the past two decades, three decades in college basketball. GP, we're talking about. Tell me if any player springs to mind and i'll, I'll even put this out to the listeners because I did not uh, I did not delve into an hour or two's worth of research, but perhaps there's someone that's uh, a relatively obvious pick that I just didn't think about just yet, but tell me the last time college basketball had a player who finished his season unequivocally as a top five player in the sport, but really a top two player in the sport because Garza even got national player of the year from sporting news. So he was right there, if not a little behind or maybe a little ahead of Obi Toppin. Okay, He was a top two player, but if you want to extend it out to top five, okay, when was the last time someone finished a season there was not considered a surefire NBA pick. And yet by returning would be a presumptive national player of the year. I can't think of another player that found themselves in that kind of position. We have had players who have been presumptive borderline preseason national player of the year return to college basketball recently, but they weren't coming off a situation in which they were the top three player in the sport, and they weren't looking at being drafted. One that is obvious was Doug McDermott, when he was definitely going to be a top 20 pick, decided to come back nonetheless and wound up being the player of the year at Creighton, you had Frank Mason, who was not projected to be drafted, but he wasn't a preseason top five guy. Who nonetheless wound up winning National Player of the Year in 2016-2017. So to me, that's why Garza is just fascinating, man. He had uh, he was a 24 and 10 guy last season, racked up some seriously big numbers. His inclusion on Iowa puts that team into the top five conversation. Whereas if you pull Luca off the team. In my opinion, you can actually make a case, Iowa fans take it easy, but you can make a case that Iowa's not a, a top 25 team without Luka Garza. I think he is that good. So um, that's why I'm interested to see not just what he does, but what he becomes if and when he returns next season, because I cannot recall a player that was this dominant in college whose draft prospects just seemed so slim and so therefore was forced to return and by returning put himself at the forefront of the national player of conversation in advance of his next season.
0: Yeah, it's 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 super rare. I can tell you I started looking into this and then just decided it was too I'm bogging it down and there was not a great way to to define what it is I was trying to say, but the larger point is exactly right. Like how often is there a player who if he returns to school he's clearly the preseason national player of the year? Like there's no way to unless you go with one of the freshmen and it would be I'm assuming Kate Cunningham. Unless you go with one of the freshmen, there's no there's no real argument for any other returning player to be preseason national player of the year. I mean, Garza checks every box. A statistical monster. Last season, by the way, highest player efficiency rating in college basketball. Also finished number one in the kimpom player of the year standings. So he's obviously you know he's done all the individual stuff and then he'd be on a at the worst a preseason top 10 team like that is what the national player of the year is supposed to look like so when's the last time a guy could come back to school and be the national player of the year but leave school and maybe not get picked at all like even when um you know
1: Andrew I, Bogut <laughs>
0: Well, no. Like, who was I'm trying to think of who the player of the year was a few years ago? Who left school early, and um, and you know maybe it was a second round pick, but even people were questioning that.
1: Here are the player of the years of the past fifteen years, real quick. Just for listeners, we're coming off Obi. Uh, uh, J- uh, is, the, you're talking Jalen Brunson. No.
0: Obi no, Zion,
1: Jalen Brunson, Frank Mason, Buddy and Denzel Valentine split. You got Frank the Tank, McDermott, Trey Burke, Anthony Davis, Jimmer Ferdette, Evan Turner, Blake Griffin, Hansborough, Kevin Durant, J.J. Redick, and Adam Morrison. That's most of the past 15 years.
0: Well, what Was it Jalen Brunson then? Jalen Brunson left school early, right?
1: He did. He left after – so Jalen Brunson won a title as a freshman, but he didn't have a big role. He was good as a sophomore. He came back as a junior, and then he left after winning the national title as a junior.
0: Okay, so maybe maybe that's who I'm thinking of. But like, even Jalen Brunson was the 33rd pick. Okay, he was a second round yeah. pick. Like the idea that you could have you could and if Jalen, I guess this was my my initial point. If Jalen Brunson would have come back for his senior year, he would have been the preseason national player of the year because the other first team All Americans in that in that season all left left school. DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Devontae Graham, Trey Young. So Brunson would have been the preseason national player of the year if he came back. Decided not to and he was the 30 still second round pick like Luca might really go undrafted and so that is a very rare thing and it's something I talked to him about like the idea that people never pass up being preseason national player of the year to be the star of a top five team. Like, that in and of itself is just not true. People do it every year. Zion Williamson did it. Yeah, (laughs) You know, if Zion would have come back from a sophomore season, he'd have been the preseason national player of the year on probably the number one team in America. But, like, he's also going to be the number one pick in the draft. So, that's easy. You got to go. Obi Toppin, like, probably did it this year. If he Mm -hmm. wanted to come back to school, he'd be the preseason national player of the year on a top 10 team. But, you know, he's a top five pick. So, you got to go lucas' situation is 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 a really unique thing. and it, certainly in 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 the past twenty years uh, to be picking between these two things, which is why most assume you don't give up everything that's on the table for you to go what be in the g league to 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 you know be a second round pick and maybe fight to get a two way like I don't want to put a ceiling on what's possible for him, but those seem more likely than being on a you know, than being picked 28, than being on an opening night roster. And so when you're picking between these things and, you know, being the face of college basketball in some ways, I think for most people, it's. I think I'll just keep it this way. That's why most people assume he's going to be back in college basketball.
1: Did you see the video uh, that was out there a few days ago of Luka practicing, like the running hook shot from like 15, 17 feet out? Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, man. Like, he has,
0: like he has that. Yeah.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> If, first of all, I love that he's like like he was taking he was taking passes and was cashing them one after the other like perfect form. i um, 15 feet. It is it is literally an unguardable shot, as invented most famously by Lou Alcindor, um, who then changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and just dominated at both UCLA, then with the Bucks, and then with the Lakers. If Luca Garza can usher in a fashionable return to the to the sky hook at the college level. That'd be killer, man. I just that would be tremendous. I don't I don't know what kind of parallel you could you could bring. It'd be like the wishbone kind of returning to college football and like helping a team like make a run to the college football playoff. Like if Luca can do that put up 26 and 11 and become the player of the year while helping Iowa get to like a two seed, it'd be freaking awesome. So um, I do hope that he does come back because it would, I mean, frankly it'd be a double dose of good news in a X amount of time. If you had Cade uh, choosing to stay with Oklahoma state and then Luca says, I am going to return here. Uh, two very different kind of players in two different conferences, both in the middle of the country and um, helping their teams in dramatic ways at schools that are not, preseason national title contenders, and that's not to say that OSU would be, but they'd be a huge conversation piece, and then Iowa definitely would be a factor in the Big Ten there. So we wait and see on when he's going to make his decision. As a reminder for listeners that might have uh, forgotten or aren't aware, uh, August 3rd is the deadline for NCAA players. The NBA came out with its calendar of NBA draft events uh, over the weekend, with the exception of a combine, because we don't know when that's going to happen. But the deadline is further uh, into September for the NBA, but that doesn't really affect college players. If you're going to stay that long, you're ineligible if August 4th arrives. So Luca basically has asked August 3rd to make his decision. I would expect that he's going to make it sometime in, in early to mid-July because as we get into that, to put a bow on this and, and to wrap it up to something we briefly talked about earlier in the podcast, um, schools are going to be allowed to hold uh, like legitimate sessions with their teams across the board in mid to late July. And so that's when Coaches, ideally, hopefully can get most of their players back on campus. I would think that Garza will make his decision in the next two to three weeks.
0: Yeah, and listen, if you're an Iowa fan, you should be encouraged because, like I said, you know, I, I spent, I don't know, 15 minutes on the phone with him the other day, mm-hmm. and he, he's as clear-eyed as you could possibly be. Um, I was talking to a coach probably a month or so ago who had an underclassman enter the draft, and this underclassman staying in the draft, and this underclassman is a second-round pick at best. And the coach said, Listen, his mom saw a mock draft somewhere that had him going 27th.
1: That was your mock draft, right? <laughs> it was not. It was mine. your mock draft. I'm pretty sure it was. It was
0: not, he said, And so now they're convinced he's going go, to go in the first round. And he said, I tried to tell them, You are not going to be a first round pick. I'm just telling, li- Listen, I want you to be the an NBA All Star someday. But you were not gonna be a first round pick in the 2020 NBA but like they hear what they wanna hear. And I guess I would just say to Iowa fans, Luca's not that like that at all. Like he understands what is likely for him, what's possible for him. And he told me at the end of every call that he's doing with NBA teams, you know, they leave some time for him to to ask questions. Trivia time said, with Luca Garza? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You go okay. Hit us with the trivia time, and he says, "Instead of that, um, tell me uh, what can I do to improve what you guys think of me." And it's all the stuff that you would you you already know, like lateral quickness. Can you guard in space? Can you switch onto smaller players? You know, uh, you know th- that kind of stuff. And he said, "Listen, I'm I'm never I'm never going to be a great athlete relative to NBA athletes, but I can get better and I can get the job done." And so he understands what he has to work on. And he's working on those things. He's asking the right questions. He's listening to the right things. And so I guess I'd, I'd bottom line it this way. He, he he left it with me. He said, I know I'll make the right choice. He didn't tell me what the right choice is. He just said, I know based on what's important to me, I will make the right choice. And so if you're an Iowa fan, you should be encouraged. You, this is not a player who is going through this um, misguided. He, he knows what the score is and – and um, I, I, no matter what decision he or anybody else makes, I, I just I like it when the players are realistic with themselves about about what what's possible, and what isn't. And then they can do whatever they want to do. And that's, you know, that's what Luca Garza is going to do, by the way. So when I'm, I'm, I'm saying Luke is going to be obvious preseason national player of the year, I go, OK, what would the first team All-America team look like? Have you tried to put one together?
1: Uh, it's, it's not it's, great. It's June. Well, we first of all we do this every single off season. I know. And then by the time we get to next season, they'll be like, yeah, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, uh, makes well, sense. well, like I th- no, by once the season starts, people will emerge like Luca Garza did last season. That's right. right. Nobody would have had Luka Garza as a first team preseason All American. Unfortunately, last year. Not- we
1: did not even have Luca Garza in our top one hundred and one players. I won't run from our flub, but uh, that's one of our all time misses. Yes.
0: Ooh boy, are you sure we didn't even have him 100%. at all?
1: Oh. Iowa fans, let Parrish know. You can remind him. Oh, yeah. I am very aware of the fact that we forgot. Because he was in the final consideration, but we did not put him in there. Uh, Anyway,
0: to your point. um, Even Luca told me, he was like, listen, I, I don't think anybody saw me being in this position after my, you know, being in this position considering where i was after my freshman year and after my senior sophomore year he's like i didn't really even see this for myself so he's he's surprised by his place in the sport at this moment um but yeah not having him top 100 last preseason that was a miss hey we'll make it up to you <laughs> we'll make it up to you i promise oh, yeah. you'll go you'll go from outside of the top 101 to number one heading into the 2020-21 season but like off the top of your head if you can okay. put together a first team all-american team i got one here i want to see what yours looks okay. like
1: okay this is completely off the top of my head again i'm not even going to scan ken Palm pages for teams and all that stuff so the first three players i'm i'm presuming jared butler returns. so garza cunningham and jared butler do you have three of those five
0: garza cunningham jared butler um yes Baylor. i do have those okay. i do have those three okay
1: um Scanning around, who else would be in the mix there? Do you have another freshman or no?
0: No, okay. only freshman is K. Okay. I all, um, I mean, I considered Evan Mobley, but yeah, there's two, there's two other front court players that are just monsters, and one of them is Garza, and the other one is um, Tri-
1: okay. trivia time. Well, I don't know this is trivia time. Okay, uh,
0: monsters, you say? Um... I mean, the guy put up big numbers, and he's gonna. You know, if he comes back to school, he's still technically in the draft right now too. But if he comes back to school, he's a, you know, he's the star of the. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um.
1: All right. Like when you say bi- you when you say big another- men when you say big men that were monsters last season, I think, uh, I think Garza, I think Daniel Turu, who's definitely gone, I think Azapuki, who's definitely gone. Um. So who am I? Who am I
0: missing on? Power conference player, I presume? Um, plays for a power program, but it's not in a power conference.
1: Oh, of course. Of course. Um, Gonzaga. Uh, Petrusov? Yep.
0: Yeah. The average 17.5 points, 7.9 rebounds last season. Shot 56% from the field. Would be on the preseason number one team. So I've got Petrusov right beside okay. Garza. So right now you've got... Jared Butler, Kay Cunningham, Philip Petrushev, Luca Garza. Those are four of my five. Yeah. And uh, you got another guard. And I was picking between two.
1: Okay. Um, and, they both, what's, and they
0: both play okay. in the same league.
1: Okay. Uh, is your A-10 MC, you know, pass, is it factoring into your decision-making here?
0: No. It has okay. nothing to do All with right. this. By the way, Petrushev
1: is like a poor man's Luca Garza when I was talking about, like, players that, like— Really wouldn't be drafted, but we had monster seasons. It's it's interesting that we have two kind of in the same genre there uh, this season. Um, guard, same league. Uh, bu- 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 boo. Let me just think through it. I had a guy. I don't know if he, he tweeted at you as well, but he tweeted at me last week. We recorded our podcast on Monday, I guess it was, that I had the brutal... Or maybe it was two weeks ago. Time. What is it? What, really, what is time anymore? But anyway... Um, he goes he said something along the lines of like, Listen, there have been some funny trivia times there have been some trivia times in the past where uh you guys have taken a while to get the right answer, and I've always laughed, but never have I actually gotten legitimately angry and screaming at my phone the way I did with norlander when he forgot when he forgot about the forgotten blue devil, so there was someone that was like legitimately pissed uh so hopefully that's not that's happening here um um. All right, I'm just scanning. I'm scanning through the geography of the country as I hop from league to league. No one else in the Big 12. Uh, no one else in the Pac-12. What?
0: They Let, let me help you. No, we what? cannot do this for another 10 minutes again. <laughs> just... They will be, both of these players, will be wearing Black Lives Matter patches on their jerseys.
1: Okay. So in the Big East, you've got... All right, Georgetown has no players anymore. St. John's. St. John's lost LJ Figueroa. Golden Gate Mike couldn't hold on to LJ Figueroa. Off to Oregon. Not ideal. Butler loses its best player. Marquette? No. Um, uh, (laughs) Now i got the Big East fans just furious with me. Providence, no. Nova. Okay, so you got Gillespie, and then you got... Colin Gillespie is 1-0. Yeah, and then who you got else in the Big East? But uh, he's
0: not the one I went with. I went with another one. Okay, so Gillespie is big...
1: your first choice for second team. Yeah. You can't understand. Uh, dude, what Big East program am I forgetting right now? Hold on. Holy DePaul. <laughs> no, DePaul. Oh, God, no.
0: Jesus. <laughs> well,
1: that was a little harsh. Um, GPA, why, why don't I know? All right, hold on. Providence, Yukon, Georgetown, Saint John's, Butler, Nova, Marquette, DePaul. That's eight. All right. Did I say Saint John's? I don't. Oh, Seton Hall. But then not not Seton Hall. Not Seton Hall that's nine. You've got.
0: They were the number one seed in the Big
1: East. Tournament. Xavier is ten. Creighton. they there they're 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 all the way out. I st- st- yeah. So Creighton, there we go. Um, uh, I guess. Zagorowski. Yeah, a, I, I guess.
0: 16.5 assist?
1: Yeah, I'd go Gillespie over Zagorowski, but we're talking about Michael Carter Williams' half brother here, and when you whenever you bring him into the conversation. All other conversations go out the window, I guess. I don't even know
0: who were our other who were our other brothers that we created? Uh
1: well, there's you and and the fellow who committed to San Diego. Um oh, so, by the way, there's another oh, I forgot someone
0: I think, oh, I remember who our other brothers. We Marcus Sigorowski and Michael Carter Williams are brothers. Yes. Well that's so that we decided, that's actually
1: the case. Let's be clear. That's actually factual. Go ahead.
0: So then we decided that Jalen Crutcher and Killian Tilly were brothers. That's right. That's right. We did. We did this. If you could see
1: the smile on Paris's face right now, it's like so much, so much joy, so much absolute joy. Anyway, to your point, um, I don't. I'm not. I'd, I'd go Gillespie. I think he's got a good chance of being really damn good next season. But Zagorowski's a good player in his own right, and Creighton's got kind of back-to-back seasons with. Uh,
0: okay, so let let's say out of Butler, Zagorowski, Gillespie, Cunningham, Petrušev, Garza, mm-hmm. how many of them are ever a first-round pick in an NBA draft? Cunningham, is that it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, but if you told me Gillespie played himself to first round status next season, I'd believe it. And maybe maybe Butler, maybe, maybe Butler. I could believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I could I could see that happening.
0: Anyway, I just had to like really like look hard, and I'd go, "Really, this is a preseason first-team All-American." Like you go Garza Cunningham—that's easy because it's got you got you know returning first-team All-American, yeah. and Cunningham's an obvious star. After that, you're picking between just just really good college players. That's what they are—really good college players. Can you name me all twelve teams in the Southland? No. <laughs> I don't. I don't even try to learn stuff like that. <laughs> I, I take no pride in in. I no disrespect to the Southland. Just like that's not how I'm. That's not how I spend my time. I
1: got one more question for you as we wrap up the podcast here, okay? Okay. So it's 90 degrees right now as I record this with you. So is it? Yeah. We had a little uh, little conversation in our workroom Slack earlier in the day, and you were all like, oh, I'm from Mississippi. I don't want to hear some." people in Connecticut talking about how it's 90 degrees out there because I live with it. So are you used to the heat at this point? Do you think that 90 degrees to you feels more comfortable than it is to me? Because I think that is the case. I don't get 90 degree days four days a week. Connecticut gets 90 degree days seven days a year. So when the 90 degrees comes to me, it feels hotter. I think than 90 degrees feels to you
0: the problem with where i live which is the south it's not the the temperature it's the humidity like 90, it's it's the humidity the humidity is miserable and that is what makes it unbearable the air is so thick that it you like it, it's it's not hard to, ble- to breathe i don't want to be over dramatic here but it's like it's just heavy it's just really really heavy like i'm trying to see what our humidity is right now it's actually only 80 degrees here right now because we've had you know thunderstorms all last night and thunderstorms throughout the day but the humidity right now is at 81% it's not great it's just like i had to quit a round of golf a few weeks ago now i quit like after 17 because we'd already lost our bet like we wasn't it it was over but I would never just wa- not play eighteen, and I was like, you know what, I'm done. This is too. It's too miserable. So it's the humidity a here. It's not the temperature.
1: We're at 39% humidity with 90 degree temps right now. It 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 would take a lot for me to bail on a round of golf. You didn't bail on a round of golf with me in Vegas when it was like 108 degrees, but granted, the humidity right. was probably like three percent. So yeah,
0: yeah, I am more comfortable in 104 degrees in Vegas than 94 degrees in Memphis. Because the humidity just makes it really miserable. Like I'm I'm going to play golf Wednesday afternoon with a couple of buddies, and I would prefer to. They just can't play in the morning, but I I would prefer. I'd rather be on number one at seven a.m. Like even if that means you got to get up at five thirty, I'd rather be right. out at seven a.m. and wrapped up by you know uh, eleven than be out there in the middle of the day because it's just really it's rough it's you. no fun man i hear you. how far are you on billions how far are you on? I'm billions? not even
1: remotely close i'm making my way through westworld though so we're we're getting there it's a little weird but i'm i'm down with it so <laughs> i can't talk listen i'm watching billions with my wife but she's all into sh- every time we have a moment to watch our shows she's she's full speed ahead with wrapping up shits creek so i got to get that done. Then we'll get to billions. Then we'll start talking about it. But it's gonna it's gonna be a while. GP's eager to do this because although he's been kind enough to podcast here for more than an hour on a Monday, you are on a vacation from writing for for
0: work. So I want to let you. Dude, I I am on a, a two week vacation from CBS. All right, starting today. Yes. Two week vacation. Now I agreed. I, I told our bosses, "Listen, I'll do the podcast. You know that's fine." I, I want to keep. I don't want to go three weeks without a podcast. So um, I'll do the podcast. I swear to God, before 9 a.m. this morning, I had already filed a column, been asked to go on CBS Force HQ, <laughs> and what else was there? There was something else. I was like, this is no. Oh, and I had an email saying, hey, here's like 20 NBA draft prospects. We need 50-second videos of. I'm like, I just, I, my vacation starts in 17 minutes. What are we talking about? <laughs> so everybody, everybody, it was just it's sort of like a, you just, you shake your head. On the first day of your vacation, you file a column, do a podcast, get asked to come on HQ and get asked to do 20 NBA draft previews. I'm like. Can I do these? The draft is in October. Can I do these I two know. weeks from now? They're like, of course. You're free and but. clear
1: now. I got a mock draft coming this week. So I I, do, I got a mock draft with a little bit of a twist. You can search for it Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't know when it's going up. I think Kate might have pushed it back day. But anyway, get the shouts done. Get on with your vacation. And then next week, when events warrant, we'll have
0: another podcast in the feed for you. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larn Allen. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast wherever you subscribe to Podcast. It is available everywhere. We appreciate you guys being here. apologize for like the last 20 minutes. I know we've just been rambling, but you could have cut this what? off whenever you wanted That's to. Right. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Until then, take care.